step inside my living room Share a little talk By roads walked and lessons learned Keeping the flame of faith burning I wanna know where you've been What you found out Spread some light in the darkness Spread it all about In the height In the height Put it all in the height Hello and welcome back to Hat Radio. My name is Avram Rosenzweig and this is episode 51. And sitting uh, adjacent to me at uh, my table, my dining room table, is my dear friend Addy Berkovitz. Hello, Addy. Hey, Avram. How's it going? It's great. It's Good. great. Good. Now, uh, this show is about something fascinating. This show is about an on- a son honoring his father. Yeah, it yes. sure is. That, that, that's the way I see it. Yeah. In light of the fact that you are currently writing and soon to perform, March 25th, mm-hmm. a musical about your father who at 16 years old was liberated from Auschwitz. Yeah. And he went with his younger brother who was 13 to try to find his home. So so, so the uh, show is going to be called The Journey Home. This to me is beautiful, Adrian. I really appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. It, it's absolutely beautiful. The idea that a son can honor his father to me is uh, holy. Yeah, I really appreciate it. You know, and it's a pleasure to be here uh, to actually uh, talk about it. I'm really humbled and I'm really honored. Yeah, well, so I'm really, I'm happy to have you. We yeah, should thanks. say that you, you're Lou Berkowitz's brother, you're his younger brother. I am, yeah. And Lou was my very first guest on Hat Radio. Yeah. It was a beautiful, beautiful interview. So I've had a mother-daughter, and now we have two brothers. I, I like brothers, you know. I like brothers. Yeah, yeah, brothers are cool. They are cool, they aren't are. they? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Were you? Did you look up to Lou? I know he's 10 years older than you. Oh, I sure did. I still do, yeah. Exactly. He's exactly 10 years older. So yeah. uh, there, there's been a lot of, uh, you know, dynamics along the way. For I, sure. I, ne- I didn't have a brother. I have four sisters. And I'm not sure this is standard in every family, but I essentially felt as though I was on my own when I was younger. Um, I remember going out on my uh, monkey bike and traveling the streets of Kitchener, which is where I came from. And I had buddies. I always had lots of friends. Um, but to have an older brother, that would have been something interesting. Did he take care of you, your brother? Yeah, he did in a lot of uh, ways. And in other ways, he didn't because he was a really a lot older. So yeah. um, there was a part of time, you know, when, when I was 10, he was uh, 20. So at that at that amount of a of, of a difference of age, uh, he just wasn't around. So yeah. I felt like I was the only kid around. I was the only uh, child at the time. But as we get older, we're closer, right? Which is nice, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Are you feeling sure. wiser as you get older? Yeah. Right? Well, yeah. I, I think, especially in the last little while. And that's what led to the project as well, because I didn't have the courage to complete it. Like yeah. this, this thing, this project about my dad was... It was uh, implanted in my head about 10 or so years ago, I thought about it. And I started to compose. And over the last little while, there was like a switch uh, kind of uh, triggered in my head to say, you have to do this thing now yeah, right. and you, and you right. have to finish it. So I, I mustered up the courage and I'm getting through it. And this project is going to be done. It's incredible. 
I, I think the big piece here is finishing it, right? I think one of the uh, conditions <laughs> that exists amongst us humans is starting and not finishing stuff. That is a malaise. It's a certain sickness that we have, no? I've done that so many times in my life, Addy. So yeah. many times. I'm notorious for that. Me too. Yeah. I am too. What do you think that is? I don't know. It started for me ever since I was a kid. I think it's, for me, when I was younger, it was about laziness. I was just lazy. I didn't want to finish anything. I get really excited. You know, oh my God, okay, I'm going to build this. I'm going to build that. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And then it, it taters off. I get bored. And then I need to move on. So maybe it's an attention thing. My span of attention is is a shorter uh, process like that. I don't know. It's, yeah. it's weird. I'm not big with the word lazy because when I was growing up, I hated this when people would tell me, Avram, you're lazy. Yeah, me too. Well, someone came up to me once. They, they said, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you working harder? I said, because I'm lazy. And he looks at me and he goes, why are you lazy? And I thought, yeah, right. Why am I lazy? Right. So I think very often it has to do with a person's belief that they can't finish it or a person's belief that they're going to fail at it. Like you say, you got bored, right? Yeah. Well, why yeah. didn't you push it to the next step and not get bored? Yeah, I think that as I got older and I reflect, it, it is about... Um, being really interested in a certain, you know, thing. So if I'm really interested in, in a certain aspect of life, be it music or family or or anything like that, yes. like then I'm hyper-focused on it and then I want to pay attention to it because I care. I think that's the difference. You have to care about a certain thing. If you don't care, then it's going to teeter off. You have in, to, inevitably, I think, right? I think you have to care enough about a certain thing. And in, in this case, in the case of The Journey Home, the musical that you're writing uh, in uh, memory of your father, what what is it that makes you care so much about it? There's the obvious, he was your father, but even going deeper than that, why are you so committed to completing this and staging this on March 25th at the Richmond Hill Center for the Poor Performing Arts? Tickets to go on sale shortly. <laughs> Absolutely. I appreciate the plug. <laughs> no problem. We'll do that throughout the show. Sure, sure. Um, I think if I, re if I really dig in, the trigger was uh, the idea that he was homeless for three months. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he was a kid and, and, uh, uh, and my uncle was a kid. So they had to, you know, being homeless, they had to, tr they had to try to find a way to get home. And this is in the 40s. So no internet, no nothing. There's no maps. He just, he, you know, he just had instinct. So that to me was really inspiring. And, uh, you know, as you know, I've been a musician forever. And again, we, we the thing that we talk about is about you have to care about a certain aspect of, of a thing. And I've always had a, a dream to compose a musical piece for a certain you know, purpose. And I've never really had a purpose. I've tinkered on the piano all my life. I've yes. tinkered on the drums all my life and the guitar. And I love it. I love playing. But I felt like I never really had a purpose. So I wasn't the kind of guy to write an album to say, hey, okay, I have, uh, you know, I've got, a, uh, uh, I've got an album and it's out now and I hope everybody enjoys it. I never really had a purpose for that. The story of the journey that my dad had to get home to me was honestly 
it, it, it to me it, it was like a purpose so I thought okay I'm gonna blend the two together I'm gonna take the story of and and all the hurdles that he had in order to get home and compose a score to all those actual pieces and you know before I knew it the, the you know all the compositions add up to be about an hour and a half and so it's just amazing isn't it and it's turning into a show yeah, yeah, yeah. nine piece show nine nine piece band yeah exactly and so this to me has purpose huge huge purpose so i have struggled with purpose my entire life and i failed many many times at stuff that i started as i said before did not complete I'm really happy that I have Via Hufta under my belt, 22 years of it, started oh, yeah. it, Yeah. stepped down as CEO. I just couldn't do it anymore. I just couldn't. Sure. I, I'm not the CEO type. That was a success. And I'll tell you the truth, man, I'm really happy that I have that notch on my belt. Oh, yeah. Because I still retain, from the time of my childhood, I still retain this belief that there's a really good chance I'm going to fail at stuff, Right. So you're right, when there is purpose out there, when there's a reason for doing something, and so often, to me anyway, it seems like something outside of me, um, very often I can complete it. So just explain to me, what is purpose? Or what is the purpose of the show? The purpose of the show, you know, I struggled with that at the very beginning because I never really, I never really had the inkling as to what it actually was. And now I really, I really know exactly what it is. I want people to know about about the journey that that my dad and that my uncle uh, essentially took to get home, hoping that it will inspire them in their own life. Uh, we all go through problems. Every yeah. everyone's got issues. Everybody has problems, and to another person, they could be huge. They could be tiny. But there's still issues. There's still problems. And every time I th I think about all the bits of the pieces of the story that he took to get home, I look at my own life and I, I look in the mirror. I'm like, dude, you have nothing to worry about. <laughs> You've got, you have no problems. And it's, it's really bad to compare, right? But, but at times it gives you a perspective yeah. that, you know, like my dad was an orphan from the very beginning of the war, right? So when they were captured, that was it. And yeah. then he had to survive on his own. That's as traumatic as it gets, in my opinion. Yeah, it doesn't get much worse, does it? it? It's pretty bad, right? So yeah. um, I look at my own life and it's like, you know, the problems I have are manageable. And and my dad had a great, uh, uh, um, he had a characteristic about him, this, this kind of uh, gentle uh, wisdom. He said, you know, everything can be fixed except for health. But if you've, if you've got the money, everything can be fixed. If you lose your luggage at the airport, you don't have to get upset. <laughs> right. You just buy new clothes. Is that the way he was? Oh, yeah. He was. Yeah. He, who cares? Yeah. You go out, you know, like, you know, you buy a new shirt, you buy new pants. It's all good. You know, he had no clothing back then. He had nothing, <laughs> so right? So he had nothing. So when you have nothing, everything above it is 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 really good like it, there's really there's nothing to complain about so when they came to canada in the 60s it's a traditional textbook kind of a story where they came with nothing right yeah literally maybe 20 bucks at the most hardly any english uh my dad was a mechanic uh he fixed uh, 
uh, cars forever. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, and all he saw when they came to Canada was opportunity. So he ended up uh, uh, working on cars. He was um, he worked, uh, I believe it was either uh, GM or Ford at the plant. And then he fixed uh, taxis at night. He washed uh, cars on weekends. He, he worked he was hard. Busy. He worked yeah. hard. But he never complained. Right. That's the point. Right. He never, ever, ever complained. He was happy. He was happier than anything. Which is amazing. He isn't worked that? 18 or 20 hour days, but he didn't give a shit. No, Addy, isn't that amazing to you? Because, yeah. I mean, he had a lot to complain about. He lost his family. Yeah, right. Exactly. He, he had to take care of his little brother who was 13 years old yeah. after the war. When he went on this trek that you're writing about, mm -hmm. he, his little brother of 13 was hand in hand with him. That's right. I watched the Shoah Foundation uh, interview. I have to uh, finish yeah. it, but it's fascinating. Again, these are interviews that uh, Spielberg um, sponsored with yeah. survivors of the Holocaust. So the first thing I want to tell you about your father is there's a certain poetry to the man. There was. He passed away. Right, yeah. There really was. Like, I couldn't detect anger in his voice. No. And when he was speaking to the interviewer, there were a lot of instances where he spoke about very tragic things, atrocities, terrible, terrible things that happened to him and his brother. Again, the loss of his parents. Y yet he seemed so sweet. Yeah, right, right. He was a sweet man. Yeah, the you know he led by example, and he always he never actually told me exactly what to do in life, but he led by example. Yeah, and the way that he did that was he said, um, or you know, as an example, to treat everybody alike. If you're the CEO of uh, Petro Canada, or if you are the guy who pumps all your uh, gas in the mornings, you know, you treat everybody the same. Yes exactly the same right it doesn't matter we're all human beings and are you like that oh yeah you are yeah i always have been do you have an aspect of you this is part of me so i'm projecting all over you sure here. sure um, go do you have it. an aspect of you where you'll go into a metro or a sobeys or a no frills and you'll actually spend time with the cashier you'll spend time with those people who help you with your bags is that a big deal to you or not so much it's a big deal to me to at least acknowledge them yeah. for sure you yeah. have to you have to i can't stand it this is the one thing that does upset me is really um when another human being doesn't have the respect for another human being have you seen that all the time you see it in shopping malls or whatever right I was in the mall once, um, literally a few months ago, yeah. and uh, there was an elderly woman who was going up an escalator. She was pushing eighty for sure, and she was she was really um, the, she was really uh, how do you call it? Um, she tried to get on the escalator, but she she was really she was struggling. Yeah, it was more internal maybe uh, what's it called like uh, a confidence fear, a fear she, of the she, escalator she didn't have the confidence she tried and she and she didn't and then she tried again and she just couldn't i walked up to her you know i grabbed her by the arm i offered to help and she goes oh my god you're so sweet yes yeah. absolutely and i took her up the escalator that's lovely and then i you know i wished her you know uh, uh, i wished her like a beautiful afternoon and that was it you yeah. know but it felt and you never it, saw her again never saw her again right but it was, I, I like doing those things. I, I like doing those things too. And I often tell a story about my mother who, when my father just passed away, we flew to Israel and we were on the plane landing in Israel. And uh, there was an older woman there who was coming from Russia. 
it was at the time of the exodus from Russia mm -hmm. to Israel and the diaspora. But anyways, long and short of it, my mother went over, put her arm through her arm and said, I'm going to help you down the stairs. An older woman, sort of heavy set, And that stuck with me. And I've spoken about it a lot because to me, that is somebody who had the wherewithal to be empathetic toward others, even their most difficult times. Oh, yeah. I think the world goes around because of those acts of kindness and not in a trite way, not in a trite way, not no. in a silly, immature way, in a re very real way. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, you, I agree. You're an interesting fellow, uh, Addy, because <laughs> because there's a real uh, cert there's a certain shyness to you. There is. Yeah. There is. Yeah. You said to me that up until two years ago, right? Uh, you were really struggling with that aspect of your personality, and you sort of come out. Um, yet, uh, when you were younger, and this is an interesting piece here, when you were younger, uh, you did some stuff which would be construed by your parents as not being nice, Addy. You're not being a good boy. That's right. Right? Like we were talking about that. You actually stole stuff when you were a kid, right? Sure. And I look at you, and I know you, and I don't see that in you. Mm -hmm. But what was that all about? Was that like a cry for help or what? I think it was. It was, uh, oh my God. Um, it was a lot of, you know, I guess like insecurity, uh, rebellion. Um, I, and I still do, but when I was in grade four or five, um, I developed um, a, a speech impediment. So yeah. I stuttered heavily. Heavily, heavily, heavily. And it got worse and worse and worse. Mm -hmm. And during high school, it led me to have, you know, like ulcers and like panic attacks and things like that. And through all that, I think I rebelled. Well, and why do you think that happened? Looking back? Well, what? Okay, so if we were to dig in a little further, yeah, let's. Okay, let's do it. Um, and this is great for me because this is this is part of uh, healing too, right? Is to get out there. I never thought I would ever be on a show like this. Yeah, that's amazing. And it's, and it's good for my numbers it's, on the uh, show. Euphoric. Awesome, great. Hey, it's it, it's good all around, right? Yeah, yeah, right. Right on. Uh, so when my dad passed away 13 years ago, I went through a dark period, right? As anybody really would, of course. Uh, you know, and I. I stuttered worse. It got worse. I was uh, late 30s, and I connected with um, a beautiful, uh, 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 oh boy, it's hard to breathe now because I'm actually, I'm actually uh, like looking back and I'm now thinking back into that whole uh, time frame, but uh, she, was, she was an angel. Um, I hired her. Uh, she was, um, what do you, I actually don't know the term. It's not a psychiatrist, but a, a, a psychotherapist. A psychotherapist. Yeah, yeah. So, and uh, I saw her weekly for about two years. Mm -hmm. And the <laughs> the first time I saw her, I felt really comfortable. And I said, you know, I just want to fix my stutter. That's all I want to do. And then she she saw right through me. She knew that that's not the problem. Yeah. She knew. Yeah. Um, and I started to cry and all this. And then she said, she looked at me like dead in the eyes. And she said, Adrian, if you want a cure for that, I'm not the one to do that. But the one thing I will do for you is I'll make it so, or, or as a, as a work uh, together aspect of, you know, she, 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 she will help me so that if I stutter ever again, I'm not going to care about it. 
No. So good. So whenever that used to happen, forever since I was a kid, I would get red in the face. All my clothes would get wet. I would be embarrassed, yes, right? Of course. That's what would happen. Of course. Especially in school when they ask you to read aloud or, or anything like that. Oh, that must have been a nightmare for you, expecting Ooh. to be asked. Yeah, well, th- th- that was the big problem. So, oh. so, so, here's, so here's a clear example. I would be in grade eight, let's say, and it would be uh, any kind of class. It'd be history or like, it were like English or something. The teacher would announce that everybody would have to get out the book. And we'd go around the room and everybody would have to read a paragraph. Oh, shit. Instantly in my head, in my active head, I would count all the paragraphs. I would count all the kids in the room in the order of the rows in the classroom. And if I knew that there was only like maybe like eight or nine uh, paragraphs to read, but I was uh, 12 on the seats then I would instantly be okay. I would relax because I know I don't have to read. Right. If I was in, right. if I was, if I was in that bunch right. of the reading uh, list, then I would put my hand up. I'd go to the bathroom and I would uh, throw up. Oh, there was so much work involved in eluding it, wasn't it? Yeah, and I would hide. I would hide. I wouldn't come back. Oh, man. So that happened week after week and month after month where it got to the point where in English class, you'd have to read aloud all the time, right? Yeah. So in English class, I, I would just never go. You just didn't go. I just didn't go. So I skipped. I set the record in high school for the most skipped classes. Did you? Yeah. So I failed, right? So every July, I took it over again. But in July, you know, <laughs> in those classes, uh, they don't they don't care. The teachers don't care. You just you, as, <laughs> as long as you go to school and you show yeah, they're up. They're good with that. You do some exercises in the book. You pass. So I went to school in July to make up for it every year in high school, grade nine to twelve. Man, that must have played a real number on your head. Listen, I'll tell you something. Uh, to equal your story, I've suffered from yeah. panic atta- panic attacks for many many years. Yeah, um, I started taking Xanax a number of years ago because of my cro- coach C- Christina. Right. who helped me a lot. And therefore, when I feel a panic attack coming on, I can block it with Xanax. Xanax has been a savior to me. Right, yeah. But I have to tell you something. There have been many times where I was about to walk into a meeting. I used to work at the United Jewish Appeal, and I was so overwhelmed with fear. Mm-hmm. I was so overwhelmed with people seeing what a phony I was. Mm-hmm. Who was I to be a community worker? You know what I mean? Who was I to have an opinion about how we might approach this campaign or we were involved in rescues in, in, in the former Soviet Union, helping to raise money. Yeah. I felt like really like such a, uh, a phony. See, and you know what happened there, right? Yeah. At that, at, so when that actually happened to you, you made up a story in your head. A narrative. I had my own narrative. A narrative. Correct. That was not real. Correct. And we all do that. But Addy, I totally, totally relate to what you're saying as a four, yeah. uh, grade four, grade five, grade six, grade seven, because I went through the same things. And then later on as an adult, and I literally would walk to a door where uh, the home we were having a meeting in, I would walk to the front door, I would hear people inside, I would get so frightened, so nervous mm-hmm. um, about losing my shit that I would literally leave. Yeah. Yeah, I would literally leave. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's, you know what? to <laughs> I have a common thing uh, that happened to me exactly like that where when I was doing um, in my first uh, so I started a company in the in the early 90s later it grew you know 
and I was that building computers. I was building computers in that company. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, you're um, a techie, right? Major techie ever since I was a kid. Yeah, you know, I tinker all the time, right? You're a, you're a geek. Techie. I build stuff totally, totally. <laughs> right? I love it. I love it. Yeah. Um, and it got to a point where it wasn't just a, uh, you know, it wasn't just a tiny little thing anymore. It grew to a real business. And then in the run 1998 or 99, I had a meeting with a very large uh, client. And just like you, uh, you know, in in that sense, I was in the hallway of this uh, corporation. The, and my partner at the time, he, well, he wasn't a partner. I, I hired him as um, kind of like my right hand. Uh, he bailed because he was ill. Mm-hmm. He was the performer. He could. He was going to do the pitch. So this time I had to do it. Yeah. Oh no. And <laughs> I can feel it. I left. I didn't. I didn't walk in. I bailed. You bailed. What happened? They said what happened, and I. I. I made up an excuse. Right. I wasn't feeling well. I was sick. And they're like, "Well, you could have called us." And I lost the business. How, how much would that have been worth? Do you remember? A couple hundred thousand dollars. A lot of money. Yeah. How, oh man, yeah. how did you feel? But it was I felt I felt awful and yeah. then and and then um it just got worse and worse and then my dad, you know, passed away a few years after that and then I, and then I thought okay, that's it. I got to get this fixed. I got to resolve it because and it wasn't even about the speech I guess anymore. It was about my insecurities about just living and being able to talk to people. And uh I, I like I knew I had to fix this because I was headed uh, I, I, I was headed really towards a downward spiral quick. You were scared. At I this knew point. it. I was panicking. So, did your wife know about this? Oh yeah, sure. She knew about it. Yeah. Did anybody else know? No. So you kept it to yourself by a large. I kept it to myself big time. Yeah. So, and that was probably a, a, like a learning experience. Here I am now on a public forum, you know, talking about it where I never thought I would. Right. I know. That's it. That's exactly right. It's huge. It's yeah. huge. So what happened? Um, as I started to dig a little uh, deeper, like I was, I was basically absorbing anything, all the self-help books back then, and my, and you know, I did, uh, uh, you know, as I mentioned, I did a weekly uh, session, right? And uh, throughout the years, I've realized two or three uh, takeaways from this, yeah, which is helping me in my life, which hopefully can help others, is. Uh, I learned about this this particular uh, type of tone that you have to take in that when you're nervous about a thing like that or about a performance or something like that, essentially what's happening is you are caring too much about the other person mm-hmm. and how they look at you, how they think about you, how, right. how they perceive you. Exactly. Hence the imposter thing, right? People are looking at me as being a phony, right? Right. So I, I printed this card, I laminated it, and there I carried go. it around with me for years. And it said, it's none of my business of what other people actually think of me. Oh, okay. It's, yeah. it's really none of my business. So I've learned to tweak that a little bit now. Yeah. Is that, sure, you have to care what other people think, but not everybody. Right. Sure, I care what my family thinks. I care what, you know, uh, like my colleagues and my partners and... But to the stranger on the street, if I want to dance on the street, I don't care what other people think of me because I don't really know them. And they know, you know, they don't even, you know, they've never heard of me. Would you go that far? Sure. You would dance on the street? I've done it. Oh, you did do it? When? Yeah. But my wife and I went to New York a while ago 
and um, there was a uh, they closed off. I think it was like Eighth Avenue or something like that, and they they had a I think it was on a weekend. And they had all all the vendors there with food and everything and events going on. It was like a big party. Yeah, right. I don't know what the occasion was. I think they do it on a weekly uh, on a weekly level. I think. Uh, again, I'm not sure. But there was a company there, a dance company with three or four guys, and these guys are really good. Like they break dance, then they did, uh, you know, a lot of things. And I, they, I love these guys. And they wanted like uh, they wanted like audience. Uh, what's it called? A participation. participation. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And. I put my hand up right away. Yeah. And 10 years ago, I would have been at the back of the crowd. Were you surprised your hand went up? Yes and no. Yeah. Yeah. But now I'm at the point now where, again, if something happens, I don't begin to sweat anymore. And my face, it doesn't go to another color. I just don't care. If somebody's going to... So here's the thing. If somebody's going to judge me because I stuttered on something... Mm -hmm. Then they can go fuck themselves. <laughs> no, seriously, I don't give a fuck Let, about let's you. Let's not mince words. Yes, I don't give a shit because if you're going to judge me on that, then you're not a person that I want to be involved right, with. Right, 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 and that's okay. Well, way to go, man. Appreciate it. It's way still, to go. You know, we all have our moments, right? We all have our moments, and it's interesting because to me, the reason why we're on this planet is to grow is to become a better person than we were yesterday and to be even better tomorrow and to make this world of ours grow. So you've accomplished a lot. That's a really big deal. Yeah. See, I don't think of it as a big deal. I just think is it, it's part of my own thing. It's part of my own it, uh, journey. No, right? it, it is, Addy. But the reason why I'm uh, embellishing, if you will, sure. is because I want other people to really clearly hear what your journey was all about. You think about it. There are people listening to this show right now who stutter. Yeah. They stutter. And it, it's interesting because I and think... And your heart must go out to them. It does. But I think I'm the only one in the world who does, right? Right, right. To this day, I haven't met anybody who, who does. My father stuttered terribly yeah. as a youngster. I know a fellow here in Toronto who stuttered so badly that he would jump up physically to get a word out. I was at his bar mitzvah, mm-hmm. and I watched his grandparents, and those people were so terrified. I don't know if they were embarrassed, but they were so terrified about what was to come next. Now, here's an interesting piece. I sat... Uh, with this fellow, he was probably about 14 or 15, in a group at uh, a synagogue here in Toronto, and I was facilitating a discussion. Mm-hmm. And it took him a long time to get words out. So yeah. I I think what I was doing in my head was I was trying not to ask him questions, right? Because I was scared, too, as to how it was going to come out. Right. But the kids who were in that group, Addy, they were so respectful to him. They were so patient to him. They allowed him to be, they allowed him to speak the way that he needed to speak. And he contributed ultimately to that discussion in a really valuable way. Not because of me, really. I was a, the, the older guy who was scared. It's because of the kids. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. I'm assuming, were the kids good to you or not so much? Well, no, I was going to say they 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 laughed. Yeah, they and and I remember, I specifically remember this. It was the day that John Lennon actually died. Yeah. I'll always remember this. And there was a girl I had a crush on, like all boys do, right? Do you know her name? Uh, yeah, Tracy. Tracy. I, yeah. St- I still know the name. Of course you do. <laughs> and, uh, you know, 
I was at that point where the teacher asked me a question or something, but it was a deliberate. It wasn't like I had to do uh, like a read aloud in, in a book. Yeah. But he did ask me a question, and I couldn't get it out. And this girl laughed in the background, a girl that I liked. Tracy. Yeah, and then it just... So there are kids, I think, depending on the environment, I think, right? Um, in, in, the, in the example that you had, I think it's incredible. Um, in some other environments, it's not so good. Yes. Every environment's different. Everybody's... It just depends. So, but as you said, we grow. We have to grow. Uh, the brain is 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 built to learn, so if we don't actually feed it, we're in trouble. Yes, that's a hundred percent right. Or, or you'll you'll move backward. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, for sure. And I think this 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 whole uh, process of uh, healing and all this stuff it's not a. Um, I don't think there's a goal and an end to it. You can't just admit that okay, I'm fixed now. You know what I mean? Because we all have moments. There could be moments when I'm at a border crossing and and the border guard asks me a question and I'll trip, right? But but the border guard's an expert. They know I'm stuttering because I'm nervous. They mm-hmm. know I'm not lying, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? But because I don't get hot anymore or or I don't get all flush in the face, it doesn't actually bother me. So the ironic thing is I stutter a lot less now because I don't care anymore. And that's and that's what I learned in the process of the years of all the sessions that I had and, yeah. uh, and like all the therapy and you know that idea was right. It's not going to get fixed, but I'm going to care less about it. And if I care less about it, it will happen a lot less. You know, I uh, I went through my share of stuff too, as I mentioned, and when I started to overcome my difficulties, especially my anxiety. There was a sense of freedom that I felt, which was unbounding. And, and it was something which allowed me to breathe in a way which I wasn't able to before. It was a very, very beautiful time in my life. Yeah. I mean, I still have my struggles in that way. Like, I'm, I'm agoraphobic, mm-hmm. um, which means I have a really hard time going out of my safe zone. Mm-hmm. It's been very, very bad over the years where I literally could not go from central Toronto to Mississauga, right. which is, I don't know, 10 miles. Um, I was able to correct that through my coach and through some medication. And then I was ultimately able to go to Israel. I went to Argentina. It's incredible. It's incredible. But I have to tell you, my recovery rate after going to these places is a long time. It takes a lot out of you, right? It takes a ton out of me. So you know that, right? Yeah. But I think after you have a chance to 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 um, to uh, have a rest, yeah, then you recover and then you try it again, and then you try again. Yeah, you and get then out you there keep and trying do it. again. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, accolades to you, my friend. I'm very proud of you. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, I really am. I think you're doing great. Thanks. You're I, welcome. I, I appreciate that. I mean, I'm. I, uh, yeah. Thanks. <laughs> oh, you, you, you should you should appreciate that because it's it's a big deal for us. Like when you're ensconced in that world of anxiety or stuttering and something. Here's the key thing: is you think I'm never going to get over this, right? Mm-hmm. I'm never going to get through this, but you did. Well, what happens, right, is there's a tipping point. There has to be a trigger that says, okay, either I'm going to try to fix or heal or, you know to um 
to try to to try to get i guess uh through it or you don't yeah so it's a fight or flight i think in terms of a re- of of a reaction exactly and mom, it's honestly like my body was giving out i knew i had to make a change i just knew it so so, th- so that was a trigger that was a switch i think it's the berkovitz thing i think so Really, it is like yeah, you, we're all you, active, active. You, oh, well, not only that, your brother and you are both very, very tenacious people. I've never seen your brother stop growing. Now he may be growing in different directions at certain times, but he's always growing. He's always growing. When Renee died, yeah, um, he never stopped growing. He just kept on doing stuff to move forward. And he said to me specifically, Addy, I don't know if you've heard him say this, but Lou said to me, he said, "I don't feel like I've lost a limb." I still feel like I'm whole. Mm-hmm. And what he meant by that was he loved Renee with all his heart. Mm-hmm. She was his soulmate. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But they didn't get intertwined. They didn't get tied up as couples often do. They allowed each one of them to be. Yeah, of right? course. So when course. Renee passed, he he was heartbroken. That's very clear from the interview we did. Mm-hmm. But he was able to move on because there was still a wholeness to him. There's yeah. a tenaciousness about the Berkovitzes. Well, you know, and when you look at it like that, when 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 my brother came to Canada, right, he was already alive, right, by then. He was uh, almost uh, 10. Yeah. Born, he, born in Romania. Born in Romania. And then they moved, they moved to Israel. Yeah, he lived in Israel. And then they came to Canada. Yes. So by the age of nine, he's been in three uh, countries and three languages. He, you know, he never knew English and all that. So he that's instinctive, I think, within him as well to grow. Right, instinctively, because he's a survivor too. We all are. Yes. In different kind of ways. I've always been here, right, in Canada. So, um, and I'm very uh, blessed. But, but, you know, we all have our stuff. We all have our things. We but, do. But with him, he he also leads by example. He and he doesn't even really know it. Like he's a big influence on me, and he doesn't even really know it. Yeah. Uh, until he hears this, probably. <laughs> right? now, now he knows. Yeah. Now he knows. But I mean, he, I mean, you know, he's he's now sixty one, and and he, you know, he's in incredible shape, you know, physically, mentally, all that. Like physically, especially, he's just a rock star. Right? He's an Adonis. Yeah, yeah, and you know, he was a big inspiration on me a couple years ago because I was also really like out of uh, condition. I was never overweight, but. I was very out of shape, high cholesterol, and I was really pencil thin. I wasn't really, you know, growing. I didn't have like the body I, I always uh, wanted, which which led to other insecurities as well. So, the one thing I wanted to mention is, you know, if you deal with an issue like a stutter or or or, or your hair or something else, that's just only one particular layer of the onion. Yeah. Right. It's an example I've heard over and over and over again. You deal with the layer of the onion, and then you peel it away. Well, guess what? Now you have another layer of another, you know, of the onion. And the closer you get to the core, the harder it gets. Yeah, yes, that's right. Because you start to get really more emotional, and you start to cry more and, and whatnot. You got to get to that core of that onion to heal, through my own experience anyway. Addy, it's an interesting thing about knowing ourselves because what does that mean and how much do we ultimately learn about who we are on our deathbed? You know, in Jewish, we say you should live to 120. On that final day, will you, you have known yourself as much as you ever will, right? There's no more life after that. Right. So you're done. 
But had you lived longer, would you have known more about yourself? It's the interesting thing about growth. It's really, it's never ending. You never ultimately get to know yourself fully. No, you never do. Right? I, no, I don't think you ever would. No, no. You just got to keep on, you know, growing. Or at least you have to try. And there's people who, there's people who would rather not. And that's okay. That's their own issue, right? But there's people who do. And there's people who try to expand and to grow. And for me, as I'm getting older now, especially in the last few years, I've noticed that there's no option, that I have to keep on expanding and exploring and growing and doing new things and also being uh, challenged. Do, do you like yourself? Uh, uh, maybe partially, only at times, not you, all the time. Are there times where you really dislike yourself? Yeah, sure. Do you know what that is? Uh, as in the cause of it? Yeah, is there a reason to really dislike yourself? Yeah, I'm just too hard on myself. I've always been it just, it's instinctive in me to just be hard on myself. Yeah, yeah. so my point is uh, uh, Hitler had a real good reason not to like himself, mm -hmm. right? Um, do we? Like, I can honestly tell you, I've never done anything in life that was an atrocity, you know? I've heard, right. other, I've heard other people, there's no question about it. But on a very deep level, I'm, I, I like to think that I'm better than I'm not better. So again, interesting right. question right. here. Is there a palpable reason for you to go through those moments where you really don't like Addy? I think what it is, it's 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 the classic thing of of that ego. Yeah. Right. Everybody has it inside them, and what I've learned, it may be true or not, I don't know, but I believe it is that it is is that that little thing that's is that ego inside you. They it it, it actually wants you to fail. Its job in your in your species is to tell you that you suck, yeah, right. right? And that you you need to fail because then then that ego will become happy. Yes. But what I've learned is, at least it actually works for me, is if you pay attention to that ego and acknowledge it, it doesn't like that. The ego doesn't like attention. It just wants to drill it down your throat, you right. know, saying you suck, you're ugly, or, you know, you or anything like that yeah or or, or or you're not able to or you're not uh, capable you know all the negatives it wants you to be unhappy and so a lot of times what happens is you try to push it aside you 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 try to to ignore that ego and and it thrives on that as soon as you turn around and you look that ego in the eye and say oh yeah <laughs> uh okay don't mess with me i want you to tell me more all of a sudden, it starts to disappear. It gets embarrassed, and it turns around and walks away. I've, so, I've literally had that happen to me. So you have a real dialogue going on inside of you. Well, I've learned to have that dialogue. Yes. Because I, at least for me, I know that it helps. And if it helps me, great. <laughs> so you know how but, I've uh, translated what you're saying for myself. I have, I have an Avrom 1, and I have an Avrom 2. Yep. So Avrom 1 is like this is... Come on, man. You you can do a lot better than this. You're a decent fellow. Step up. Avram too is listen. You're an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah. You just fumble the ball very often. You just can't get it right. And then I have these dialogues mm -hmm. between Avram one and between Avram two. And the goal is to come to consensus, but it's for my consciousness to come to the fore and work through exactly what I'm feeling at that time. I'm, I have confidence in myself. I have a belief in myself. 
but the the corollary the flip side to that is that uh, i can have a lot of anger directed at myself and think lowly of myself so i have to work those two together almost like two guys in a room fighting it out yeah so avram two is is that ego right avram two would be the ego yeah yeah, yeah. exactly so instead of a dialogue you could also turn it around and and just and just listen listen ego doesn't like to be listened to right right or or acknowledged uh it's a long process i mean it took me a couple of years to figure out actually longer th- three or four years and all of a sudden it's like i and again i've got i've got a memory where it's it's completely uh visual yeah. i was on the go train i was on the bottom floor i was going into downtown for a meeting i believe and I was getting off, um, or sorry, I was uh, parked at a station on on the way down, and I was reading a book about this. And I was the book is like hundreds of pages, right? And it talks about that ego. Do you remember the book? Uh, it was by Eckhart Tolle, and I don't remember the title to be honest, but it was a great book. Um, he's a spiritual healer, leader mm-hmm. guy, mm-hmm. like a self help, you know, thing. Um, and I literally only got into page 18 or 19 and then a switch really flipped in my head so when i would go downtown here's a story i would go to a coffee place uh, locally underground and i would always want to get a coffee i always wanted to get i think it it, it, at the time uh i always wanted to get i think i think it was a medium coffee i always wanted to get a medium Mm. but i had the problem with the letter m at times I still do. And I would always order a large. Isn't that interesting? I love Even that. Even though I always wanted a medium. Like, I fuck, that. I just want a medium coffee. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I read that in his book. And the book, uh, and again, it was on page 18. All it said was, you have to take your spirit out of your body and listen to yourself and acknowledge that ego to say, you know what? You have to look at that ego as an external person, yeah. not as an internal person to yourself. It's another person. It could be another person on the train. So if you're treating the ego as an external person that's outside of your body. So here's an example. If you if you correlate to it, would you let a person in, in a mall tell you that you're not allowed to to place an order of a particular coffee that you want? No, you would not. You know, would you let a stranger do that? No. Well, you're letting this ego do that. Yes. And that ego is just another person. And I said, holy shit, that's that's what's happening. (laughs) So I said, fuck you. I pushed that ego aside. I I marched up to the (laughs) coffee shop and and, and with a smile. And and I had a smile on my face. I said, said, hi, I'd like to order a medium coffee, please. Right on, dude. And all of a sudden, I almost started to cry because it, it was so emotional and uh, I was on a high all day. It was the highest I felt in probably decades. That's fascinating. On that day. Fascinating. I love that. Interesting, right? You know what I love about that? Two things. Number one is the cashier had no idea what she was part of or he was part of, right? Yeah. They were strangers to you for all intents and purposes, yet something epic in your life was occurring at that very second. It was epic, yeah. And number two is exactly that, that these things are epic and i'll tell you addy the more i talk to people the more i interview the more i hear stories like this yeah yes i do yeah the more i hear about these little moments yeah and they they're not significant 
specifically at that second because there's an enormous lead up to it mm-hmm. and there's an aftermath as well, right? But we, it seems to me, we're all going through this M thing. We all are. At some level, sure. Yeah, we're all being stymied by the letter M in our own way. Yeah. Each and every one of us. You know what? That's the title of a song then. It's a nice one, isn't it? Yeah, the letter M. The letter M. Yeah. It can, Anyways, it can mean anything. A big hug to you, my friend. I appreciate it. Yeah. And a big hug to your little boy, too. A big hug to your little boy. I don't know if your little boy needs that. In other words, when you were in grade four and five and you started stuttering, there's stuff that I haven't worked out. And I, uh, I'm still trying to embrace my little boy. Yeah. And so I'm really sensitive and conscious as to what little kids go through or adults went through. Yeah, we have. And I'll tell you the thing. You, you know there's one thing or two things in your heart that r- really breaks it? Mm. The suffering of children just kills me. So when, when I imagine you yeah. in grade four, which is nine years old, having to run to the bathroom because you, you couldn't read your paragraph, like... Uh, Honestly, that breaks my heart. So I'm extending to you and to your little boy right now a great big hug. I, I really appreciate that yeah. a lot. It, it really means a lot from you. Uh, and you know, it's funny because as a child, when you're going through that, it's a, it's it's basically a trauma, right? That's what that is. It's a huge trauma. But when you look at the trauma that other kids have had, it's nothing. It's completely nothing. No, uh, you look at the Holocaust uh, or you I, look at atrocities all these things right no but out of your father you have a beautiful daughter she's very bright you don't look at your daughter and say zadie well you wouldn't call him zadie he says edward your father your grandfather yeah went through the holocaust went through Auschwitz. therefore stop complaining about getting no, a I, bad haircut or I stop would never complaining do, no. about being brokenhearted because this guy in school doesn't love you you right. wouldn't you wouldn't do that no 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 like, I don't want to negate Not your problems because your father's problems were greater. No, exactly. Yeah. So, but, but if I reflect, it helps me as well a little bit, right? It yeah. helps me to reflect. Like, I, I never compare, right? I really don't, or I try not to at all. And we all have issues, as we said. There's, uh, there was one time uh, when I was at the gym and I was just having a downer day and I wanted, you know, I always wanted to have a better body, a bigger body and whatnot. And you're, you're, you're 5'10", 160-ish? Yeah, yeah, around there. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, but I've always wanted to grow more. And, you know, again, I look up to my brother because he's this big, massive dude. <laughs> he's the Hulk. He's the Hulk, but I'm, I'm smaller boned. And it took me years to acknowledge the fact that that's how I am. The one thing that I'm, I'm not able to change, you know, how tall I am or my bones, but I'm able, but I'm able to change everything else. But I can still have a downer day. And then I had a downer day at the gym. And then all of a sudden, like I was really down. And because I saw this other guy who had an incredible body yeah. and all that. Yeah. And then I walked downstairs and there was a guy in the gym in a wheelchair. He had MS and he was working out like a fiend. Yeah. And then I looked at, at myself too. And I'm like, dude, get over yourself. <laughs> right. right. And I actually walked up to the trainer of the guy in the wheelchair and I applauded her and I said, this is incredible. Did you? Yeah. Yeah. Again, th- and that's also me coming out. I never would have done that 10 years ago oh, to walk sweet. up to a stranger to say, you know, you're doing an awesome job oh, as a trainer with this, you know, human. Like, oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. And she was really surprised that I walked up to her, but I, I did because I th- I thought it was a really, you know, a really incredible Do that. thing. Do that a lot. Do yeah, that a exactly, lot. Exactly. Right. I was, I was, uh, in a dollar store the other day and I saw this guy sweeping the floor 
you know when you watch people who have what we would construe as simple jobs, but they're being very uh, tenacious about it, almost very passionate about it? Yeah. He was really working on making sure that floor was clean. I could see it. Yeah. I could see it. I couldn't do what he does. I don't have it in me. And I went over to him. I said, I tell you, man, it looks like you're doing a really good job. And he said, I'm doing my best. Thank you. See, Those you, are important moments. You made his day. Well, I hope so. I just think those are incredibly important moments. Yeah. Life is hard. We feel alone so much of the time, man. Yeah. When we're cleaning a window, and I've seen it. I've seen people cleaning windows and people just walking by. The mm -hmm. world is continuing. And there's this guy cleaning a window. It's cold outside, trying to get each streak, you know. And just to go up to the fellow and say, man, I, I'm afraid about walking through that glass. I've done that. <laughs> right? I go, <laughs> yeah. oh, shit, man. That's so clean. I might walk right through it. You bring a moment of joy or happiness to a person and Huge. i and i think that's what makes the world go around mm -hmm. you know by the way just talking you're talking about working out and so you know you and lou are incredibly handsome men you know that right no not really <laughs> you must know that man because you work on it you have a well-coiffed beard you're in great shape you got Thanks. a beautiful smile you must know on some level you're handsome you must know that. well i appreciate that i on some level you must know it. on know? some level i don't know maybe i don't know <laughs> i don't know you're being very do, kind do you think your father was handsome him? Oh fuck yeah! He was well quaffed. Oh dude, he he would he would go when he went to Canadian Tire. He would put a tie on. Yeah, I, I noticed that his tie was really put on well you know, oh, when he was yeah. doing that interview. Yes. Yeah, he always would dress impeccably. He had a he was a car mechanic. Yes, and he would wear uh, what's it called um, uh, like a smock, right? But he would have a tie on underneath. Oh, you're kidding? Yep. Every day. Why do you think that was? Just the way of upbringing, the prim and proper. Um, the European-ish. The, the European way of life. Like, you know, you know the top hats and, you know, he always had a fedora. I mean, not later in life because it wasn't in, it wasn't a fashion thing anymore. But right. in the 50s and 60s, he would, he would always have it on, right? I saw pictures all the time. And he, he was always, you know, and my mom too. They both dressed like incredible. Like I see my mom now, she's. So beautiful. She's eighty six. She's lovely. Oh my god! When she comes over, she she she, she she's dressed like she's going out to a to a disco. And does she have like, uh, nail polish? Oh god, yeah. Everything matches. Everything. If does I she, does, she have a certain uh, perfume that she wears. Sometimes I think, yeah, 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 yeah. Like if I if I have a lunch date with her or a coffee date on a Saturday, I see her and everything matches. So it. it's like a purple day today, or it could be a blue day, or you know. Um, Do you comment on it? Oh, all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's a way of life, though. Like, it was back then, right? You go to the airport, you dress really well. Now, people go in their track pants at the airport, yes. right? It's yes. it's different. So what's inside of you? Like, will you dress up for stuff? Oh, yeah. But it's a mixture. Of, I'm, I'm a mixed bag, a mixture of both. Mm -hmm. I love casual. I really love casual stuff. But I'm always, I like to be tidy. Um, I'm, I know that my wife will argue but i'm i'm not a dirty person but i'm a messy person right 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 i'm really messy i'm really disorganized but when i dress i like to dress really well as well as i can well your wife you keeps know, for your the occasion house, your wife keeps your house beautifully clean because right. i was there you have your studio downstairs where you're developing the uh the show it's impeccably clean like in a way that i could never do it oh thanks oh yeah that, it's, well, a bonus. it's a bit hard for me by the way well i get it but again, we go back to the thing about uh, caring. I care a lot about the studio. Yeah. So I clean it and she helps a lot too. But it's just about 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, how can I put it? I, I care about the studio and that's my home away from home in a sense, right? Yes. It's like a man cave, if you will. Yes. You're listening to Had Radio. This is episode 51. My guest today is Adi Berkovitz, and we're talking about something that he created to remember his father. It's a musical, which is coming up on March the 25th, and it will be uh, shown, and it'll be played, done, yeah. uh, at the Richmond Hill Center for, for the Performing Arts. Uh, we're really excited about it. It's going to be a phenomenal show. Before we talk a little bit more about that, I do want to thank Gary Samuel for sponsoring the show. Uh, Gary is very much into Tikkun Olam, which is repairing the world. And we always have a certain theme every show of his sponsorship um, to talk about, which really shares the idea of making this world a better place and encouraging people to do so. One of the things that Gary's very much into is tipping people. And he said that it's really important, whether it's the Uber driver or the service person uh, in a restaurant, to be generous. Are, are you generous in your tipping? Me? Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. You are? I am. So let's say, yeah. the, let's say I, the meal for you, your wife, and your daughter is 75 bucks. Okay. Uh, what's your tip? Well, okay, without even questioning it, it'd be like 18. But if it's really good, I'll do like 25%. Oh, so you'll go really high. I overtip. Yeah. Yeah. Does your wife say anything about it? No, she appreciates it. Oh, she's like that too. She loves it. Yeah, yeah. Like, I again, I think, you know, the, uh, the way that I was raised is to always acknowledge. And these people work really, really hard. Yes, they do. They really do. Really, really hard, right? Um, and, you know, I see them how they, you know, how they work. It, any, any business, it doesn't really matter. I was in that industry, right? I pumped gas. So I was in the service industry. Yeah. So every day after high school, I would go to my dad's. He owned a Petro Canada, right? And I would pump gas every day. And the odd time I would get a tip. Usually you don't because you're not in a restaurant, right? But I would get tips. And whenever I did, I, I hugely appreciated it. What was it like pumping gas? Uh, in the winters, it was horrible, right? It was right? freezing, right? Oh, yeah, it was terrible. Yeah. But it, it, it gave me a lot of... Lear it learned... It, it learned me a lot, like my grammar. Like Beverly Hillbillies. Uh, yeah. yeah. I learned me a lot there, Granny. I like really learned a lot. Yeah. Um, I learned a lot about the work ethic because my dad was the boss there, right? He was in charge. So my only job was to, here's a great story. So, so, so my only job was to pump gas. So a car would come up, I'd pump the gas, I'd come back. And then I would be in the front office and I would have a seat. My dad looks at me, what are, you, what are you sitting down for? Well, there's nobody here. No, no, no. You get up and go, you know, you go to the garage, you go sweep the floor. Do something. Or go clean, go clean tires on the wall. Go do something or clean the bathroom. He said, I don't want to ever, ever look at you in the chair again. Really? I never want to. I never want to see you sitting down. And I'm assuming you never did. <laughs> Fuck no. I was scared. <laughs> yeah, right. But it, but now that I'm old, it's true, right? Like, you have a particular job to do, but do more. Yes. Push a little more. Yes. Go for a little more. Right. It's it's the work ethic in general. So yes, I I overtip if especially if they deserve it. So I try to do that too, and obviously it's depending on where we're at financially at a given time. But I agree with you. These people work really hard. I have to tell you something. I have people deliver food to my house 
Uh, don't do a lot of takeouts because I've changed my eating dramatically. But, um, and I don't know if this is right and I don't know if this is fair, Addy. You tell me what you think. Very often I'll feel badly for these people. The other night a fellow came to my door. Uh, I think he was Persian. I'm pretty good at identifying where people come from. Mm -hmm. He didn't speak English well. He was probably about 65, 68, but an old 68. And I asked him, how do I tip? And I guess when it's delivered by Uber, that's built in. Would that be correct? It's built in. And I think they have a way to tip now these days. Okay. Well, I think they do. I wanted to tip him, but honestly, I couldn't get a clear understanding. He didn't speak English well. But in my mind, and again, I could be projecting this on him. I've done this before. I just saw this guy coming from, let's say, Iran, and maybe he was a doctor there. Maybe he was an accountant there. Coming to Canada, you know, the life with so many opportunities. And here he is delivering patai mm-hmm. for Uber. And he, to me, just looks so sad. Right. And does this resonate with you at all? It, re- it, it does resonate with me. It's, it's um, it, how he takes it, right? He takes it yeah as a negative it seems or it could be he just had a bad day or he might be suffering because of what he once was that's right you know how many doctors there are driving taxis here in toronto absolutely a lot absolutely yeah there's people with 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 uh you know with a degree and they're yeah they're also either with uber or pumping gas or so treat them well treat them well right I, i once wrote a story an article about a vietnamese fellow who came to my house to put up um, uh, drapes and uh, curtains and we started talking you know because I, I talk incessantly <laughs> and it turns out that when he was a young boy he lived in uh, Hanoi and uh, they were bombing Hanoi when he was right. eight or nine or ten years old and he remembers specifically waking up in the morning and seeing piles of body around his house mm-hmm. and I wrote an article it's like you never know who's putting up your drapes you never know who's fixing your car no you never know what they went through, who they are. Perhaps they're real courageous people. Yeah. So be cognizant of that. Yeah. So March the 25th is a really big day because you are going to be performing um, a musical that you're creating about your father after his liberation from Auschwitz, mm-hmm. his journey home, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so Addy, uh, what time does the show start? I don't know yet, honestly. It's going to be either 7 or 7.30. Let's say 7.30, okay? Yeah, yeah. So it's 7.30. Um, There's a little bit of MC stuff going on. Yeah. Maybe a little bit of pre-program. Then all of a sudden, the lights go up. There are 580 people sitting in that theater. And then I shit my pants. (laughs) No. Well, hold off on the shitting for a sec. (laughs) 580 people sitting in that theater, okay? And there you are at the piano, the culmination of years of thought. And, 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 and a couple of years of work putting together this musical from scratch. You look out, your band's all ready to go. There's a lot of smiles. Yeah, inevitably you're nervous, right? Mm-hmm. But what do you think is going to be running through your mind at that very moment? I think it's going to boil down to preparation and being relaxed. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've known that, that, you know, a lot of people that are, like I'm not a professional, so everybody that I've brought onto the team are pros. Yeah. So that'll make it a lot easier for me. Um, I don't have to worry about them at all. So, uh, so that's the thing. I don't. I don't have to. Uh, you know, it doesn't have to be in my head. Yes. What's going to be in my head is 
we go back to the original thing is about purpose. Why am I here? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to worry about about the notes that I have to play on the piano. I'm going to I'm going to think about the purpose that I'm here, the reason. And the reason being Well, the reason being is so that everybody can hear what the story is about, they can learn about it and so that my mom can be in the audience and be a witness to this and see all the work that I'm actually putting, you know, into this. And it's really a dedication to her also. How so? She's a survivor too. She she lost her dad when uh, she was 11 or 12. Mm-hmm. You know, he was ill. He was he was in the war too, but um, he came back and he, he got really ill and he passed away. Mm-hmm. And it, it wasn't easy on her. And she was an only, an only kid as well. And, um, you know, it, it just, back then it just, they, they went through a lot of shit. Yeah, they really did. They struggled. So they're all survivors. Yeah. All of them. Did your father have really hard hands? Hard meaning? Like calloused? Not so much. Were they big? Yeah, they're like meat hooks, like my brother. Yeah, like your brother, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. Let me Strong. see. Let me see your hands. Mine are more like piano delicate kind of. <laughs> but 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 they're bigger than mine though. Oh, okay, uh, I got sure. a little bear. Uh, right, <laughs> bear hands. It's so, all good. So, so that's a cool thing too. What you were just saying about you know, there's 580 people sitting there in the audience, and I know we're going to sell it out. I know it. I hope this so. This has yeah. never been done before. Right. This has never been done. This is brand new. Right. Uh, a, a son memorializing his father through the creation of the show that he's performing in. It's never been done before. Um, but it's interesting. If one light was focusing on anybody within that entire crowd, it would be focused on your beautiful mother, right? Yeah, and my wife and my daughter. Your wife and your daughter. Like, yeah, absolutely. At the end of the day, absolutely. there could be 10,000 people on there, but the three most important people are they. Absolutely. Yeah. They're my life. Like, uh, without... N- any hesitation like that's that's basic it's the three girls right yeah um three generations if you will there was a uh recording that i did of piano at a studio um a little while ago in toronto um i was doing uh parts for the show and there's a picture that 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 my wife actually took and the picture is is my daughter in the control room looking through the window looking at me actually playing and my mom is in a chair basically next to me at the piano in the live hall, well, right, in the studio. So it's like three generations, and that picture is now hanging on the wall in the studio. And it's that kind of thing where we're all going to be there together. That to me is important. And my mom, she saw me a couple of weeks ago, and she, she looked at me, and she saw the panic in my eyes and the, or, the st- <laughs> or the stress that, you know, I've got to get the theater full. And she looked at me, and she said, Adi, you don't have to. Yeah. Don't worry about it. She said, even if it's just us and the family, she doesn't care. All she cares about is that I started a project and I finish it. That's all she cares about. And as soon as I heard that, it alleviated a lot of the pressure and the stress. Because I was having those little panic attacks that, oh my God, right? The PR and all that stuff. And it's a lot. Sure, it's not the it's it's not a big arena like a hockey arena, but it's still a lot of people that we yeah, have to bring in. But oh, that's okay. I, I don't think that's the point. I've done stuff in front of, you know, five people, ten people. I've done stuff in front of five hundred, eight hundred people. Haven't gotten that much bigger. But yeah, at the end of the day, it's those significant individuals who you love dearly who are in the room. But by the same token, you want to have an impact on those other folk in there. Yeah. Let's say the people who walk out of there at the end of it, what what do you want them to take away 
from the journey home, from Edward's life? You know what? If I were to be really blunt, it would just be the, you know, the two words, holy shit. <laughs> no, yeah, right. <laughs> really, the, I, I want that sense of, oh my God, this, you know, everybody knows about the war and what happened, but everybody who was involved in it has, you know, a story to tell and they're all incredibly uh, unique. Everybody has, you know, a, a uniqueness about it. And the instincts that my dad had to survive, I think, were so incredibly powerful and um, inspirational. Other people, they need to know. I, for some reason, I have this this instinct in me where I have to let others really know about it. And the only way I know to tell the story is through uh, is through the is through the art that I know, and that's uh, music. So, if they can take that away as a, um, you know what go home with a smile on their face. I think to me, that's that's basically everything. Yeah, what blows me away is that both you and your brother were intent upon memorializing your father in a way that made sense to you. Uh, in your case, it's the, it, it's the creation of this wonderful musical. In Lou's case, it was actually the tattooing of your father's numbers from Auschwitz on his arm. That's right. Right? Mm -hmm. Which was a big deal. Um, I wrote an article about it. I've talked to a lot of people about it over the years. Yep. And I just think that the love and the respect that you had for your father, I think really sets the tone for how people should feel about their parents. This is a really big yeah. deal, this yeah. creation of this musical. Tattooing the numbers on his arm was a really big deal. A Huge. Lot of, Massive. A, a lot of people don't like the idea. I've asked many, many people. Mm -hmm. A lot of people do, mm -hmm. right? But you guys have really taken a step to memorialize. More often than not, what we do is during the year, we'll, we'll, we'll say Yorzeit, we'll say Kaddish um, for our parents. And we'll do that and maybe have a dinner and so on. But you're, you're taking this thing that you're most passionate about in life outside of your family and you're creating this show around it having to do specifically with your father, who he was, and his intuition, his guts, his bravery. That's, that's exactly what it is. Right? Yeah. And, and when people hear what he's gone through and the stuff that he did to get home, you can't even... You, you, uh, you, it's hard to make it up. At 16. Yeah. With a 13-year-old brother in hand. Yeah. It's really hard to make that stuff up. Yeah. You just... You can't. So... Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I was listening to some of the Shoah Foundation interview, mm -hmm. and that'll be the backdrop for the show, right? That's right. He will be coming in and out. He's the star of the show, not me. So yeah, That's cool. There's parts of the interview that'll be on screen. Yeah, there's going to be parts of that. There's going to be a lot of other things on the screen to show people what's going on, because a lot of the music is instrumental. Yeah. Right? So not all of it, but a lot of it is. So when it's instrumental, I really want people to know what's happening in the music. So with the with uh, there's there'll be I think the projector in the theater is like eighty feet long. It's huge. So it, it's a whole experience. And what's very cool too is it's very inclusive because your brother Lou is doing the voiceover. He's doing the narration. He's yeah. he's got the radio voice for sure. He does. He has a wonderful voice. He has oh, yeah. a show on uh, Talk Six Forty, right? Yeah, the real estate show. Yeah. yeah, was that a big deal to include your brother? A big deal in what sense? In other words, I want to make this as uh, familial a show as possible. I want to make sure that my family not only attends, but somehow has a piece of it. I think so, yeah, because, you know, it's 
you know, it's his uh, dad also. It's his father. So yeah. um, if he could help in this kind of a way, I couldn't really think of a better way because he's got that voice. So um, it's it's awesome. We're gonna we're gonna record his uh, narration probably in a few weeks. So excited about that too. If your dad is looking down, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, what would he be feeling and thinking the night of? I'm sure he'd be very humbled, and he probably wouldn't want anybody to make a big deal out of it. That's my guess, right? Yeah, it would make a big deal. Here's the thing, right? He never talked about his experiences in the war. I never knew about anything un- until the interview and the video. Like, I, I, of course, I knew he was he was in Auschwitz. I knew that he was in the you know in the camps. I didn't know any detail because he never talked about it. He was mm-hmm. very quiet. He mm-hmm. talked about other things in life. <laughs> yes. Talked about happy things, which is awesome. But um, once and it took me ten years to get the courage to watch the interview. So because he did it in in the nineties, right? So ten years later, I started to watch bits and pieces, and that's where the light kind of uh, kind of illuminated in my head to say, okay, maybe there could be a musical around this. The thirteen-year-old brother is he still with us? He is. He's the last one standing. Is he coming? He's not able to travel. He's he's not very healthy. Are you recording the show? You can send it to him? Yes, absolutely. Okay. That's good. Yeah. Now, here, here's a really uh, um, compelling piece here. Uh, according to Orthodox Judaism, you're not Jewish. Correct. Yeah. Right? Your yeah. mother is... Crazy, right? Yeah, yeah your mother is uh, uh, Christian. Yes. And uh, she is from... Um, Romania. Romania. Your father's yeah. Hungarian Jewish. Yeah. So here you are memorializing your father who had gone through the concentration camp because he was Jewish... How does that formula work? Yeah, you know, I'm just doing it. I'm doing it at the human level. I'm not doing it at the religious level. Yes. To me. So that's that's where it holds for me as a, as a, how can I put it? It actually resonates with me to do this as a tribute to another to another human, to inspire other humans. It's got nothing to do with any religion at all. Right. Right. I don't know if that answers the question. No, but. it does. And there's an aspect of it, I think, which really works because so many people suffered because of World War II and World War I. I was reading yesterday about individuals who were handicapped and what Hitler and the Nazis did to them. It was absolutely atrocious. Mm-hmm. Hundreds, hundreds of thousands of people who were handicapped because Hitler was trying to develop the Aryan race uh, were sterilized, were starved, and were murdered in other ways. So there's a whole group of people out there, homosexuals, uh, who were affected adversely by the Second World War. Millions of people, right? So I think there's an aspect of what you're saying which makes total sense. As a Jew, I look at your father, obviously as a Jew, and I think about the Jewish experience. But because you're not Jewish, um, I, I think you're Jewish, by the way. I think you and Lou. I think I'm a cultural Jew. Yeah, you and Lou are like my, my my non-Jewish Jewish buddies. <laughs> well, we had a menorah at home and a tree. I know at Christmas time. And so. she, once I said to Lou something, maybe it was during the interview. I said, "Well, you're not Jewish," and he kind of got offended. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> you know. So no, I definitely think of myself as partially Jewish. It's I have to be. I mean, it's yeah, not. Yeah. I, I can never ignore that fact. Absolutely, I, I am. But do you know anything about Judaism? Very little. Do you do little. anything that's Jewish nowadays? When Renee was around, we did, right? Yes. But now, mm, no, no, not really. No. Okay. No. Passover Seder. No. 
No. Maybe you should come to mine this year. Love to. I'm going to convert you. <laughs> Just don't make me read at the table. <laughs> I won't. Right? Nothing with an M. <laughs> and that was funny. And that was actually really, really funny because the first time we were invited to Renee and my brother's... Sorry, forgive me. Is it Passover when you have to read the book? Yeah, Passover. Right? And Renee didn't know I had that issue. Yeah. And she asked me to read and I fucking shit myself. Did you? Right? But then I got through Somehow I got through it. Yeah. And she encouraged me, you know, it's okay. You can keep going. You can keep going. Like it was that feeling of grade five again. But it, it it's funny. But I, I would be more than happy to read at your Passover because. Yeah, thank you. I don't care anymore. Good. good. <laughs> it's all good. I, I love that about you. <laughs> I don't want this to be a negative thing. It's all positive. My guest today is Addie Berkowitz. Uh, the show is sponsored by uh, Gary Samuel and family, as well as Mark Greif. I want to thank both of them. Uh, the big news is that The Journey Home is a musical that Addie has created from scratch, and it will be performed on March the 25th at the Richmond Hill Center for the Performing Arts. Uh, this recording is happening on January the 8th, which is a Wednesday. The tickets are going to be available early next week. Uh, yes, within a week of this airing, should be. Now, can you tell us where they'll be available? Uh, online, uh, it'll be, um, there's a site that is being created as we speak. It's called uh, journeyhome.live. Journeyhome.live. That's correct. Okay. Yeah. And if anybody wants any more information about the show, be it media or otherwise, where should they be in touch with you? Uh, journeyhome.live will have all the contact info there. I'll be there. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and I want the listener to remember, please, that, uh, again, in my mind, and we've had this discussion, you and I, Addy, uh, this really has never been done before. It's, an, it's a son memorializing, uh, honoring his father. Um, because of the trek that he took after he was liberated from the war. Uh, and, and I'm certain there are fathers who have, or sons who have honored their fathers out there, but this is having to do with the Holocaust, with the war, and it's very specific. And it's an incredible story. Again, the back, backdrop being an interview that Edward, your father, did with the Shoah Foundation in the early 90s. Yes, yes. A nine-piece band. Yeah. I'm internally grateful for everybody who's helping. Yeah. I'm internally grateful for you. Thank you. You know, I'm really honored to be here. Uh, it's, Me too. It's been an incredible experience. And yeah, it's exciting times, my friend. Exciting well, times. I, I like you. <laughs> I like you too, yeah, man. No, no, you're... you're I a, dig you. <laughs> I dig you too. Like, you're a good guy. You're, you're sort of a kick-ass sort of fellow who can take a, a good joke and give a good joke. Um, I love the fact that you used to steal. Yeah, totally. <laughs> the cops, the whole bit. Sure. I went into Metro a number of years ago, and I want to know what it was like to steal. Because it's, in the, <laughs> it's in the Ten Commandments, you know? Yeah. Thou shall not steal. Right up there with thou shall not kill. Sure. Honor your father, mother, yeah. and so yeah. on. So I stole a bagel. Okay. Yeah. And I took it home, and I ate it. And I must tell you, I felt awful about it. Right. How old were you? So I'm now... Was this uh, last week? I'm pretty much. <laughs> I'm now 59. It was probably like 55. Okay. Because sure. I was really into trying to understand the thief. Yeah. I was really trying to get it. And the conclusion that I came to is that people steal sometimes because they have to. People steal sometimes because they're just angry and they want to mess with somebody else. There's different reasons for it. But at the end of the day, I think the problem is if I steal from you and you steal from me... 
the fiber of our community breaks down and we can't trust anybody and we no. can't trust each other. No. So stealing's bad. But I want to feel what it was like and I really hated it. I didn't like it. Yeah, I've been I've been a victim of that of my own thing, right? I, yeah, it's not a good feeling at all. When you were a kid, right? Yeah, but then then it, it parlayed into other things. Then I I stopped, right? I didn't steal anymore because having experience with the police is 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 that feeling where okay, never again. Were you handcuffed? No, yeah, no, I wasn't. But never again would I ever want to get involved with that. A speeding ticket is one thing, yes. But this is being in a cop car is not something you want to do, and you know. And I was lucky enough; I was so young that you know I was a teenager, and it was enough to scare me that it's like never, ever, yeah, ever, yeah. Exactly. ever again. Yeah, exactly. But then you push, you push limits, and you do other things later in life to try to compensate for not stealing, right? But then it. You realize that those are mistakes, and then you just keep learning, and then you just keep expanding. So and, life is and growing. An, life is an adventure for you. Uh, I'm starting to think that I have to treat it that way. Yeah, I yeah. never did before. I am now. You know, what we should do is have another podcast in six months as a regroup and see, you know, see how it's going. That's because, a great idea. Uh, you know that that'll be after the show, and that'll be after more lessons and more learning and more more everything. Yeah, or that, a year from now, you that never would know. be very cool. Once again, March the 25th, Richmond Hill Center for the Performing Arts. Give us the website again where people can go to. It's uh, journeyhome.live. Uh, journeyhome.live. You have been listening to Hat Radio. It's the show that schmoozes. Do you like that? Show that schmoozes? Schmoozes. See, yeah, schmooze. I never knew what schmoozing actually meant. Yeah. I, I thought sh uh, so schmoozing to me yeah. was a definition where I would have to convince you to go in my direction or buy something or whatever. Schmooze me up. Yeah, exactly. But it, I don't think it is that. It's no. just, it's about really getting to know each other. That's the way I see it. Right? Or just talking. So you like that? The show that schmoozes? Yeah, I like that a lot. Okay, thank yeah. you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> God bless. I thank you too. You've been listening to Hat Radio with Avram Rosenzweig. Sponsored by Goodness and Positivity. Hat Radio, the show that schmoozes. Step inside my living room. Share a little talk By roads walked and lessons learned Keeping the flame of faith burning I wanna know where you've been What you found out Spread some light in the darkness Spread it all about In the high